Happy October to you. Wow, it's hard to believe that October is already here. In fact, this weekend I was just at a DIY store and they had all sorts of Christmas stuff out. And I'm like, can't, can't we get through October? <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I just think, man, when I think about what we've got going on October, we, we've just got a lot of great opportunities happening in October. That even today, you've got two different opportunities for you. You've got growth track is happening today. And so if you're somebody you've never been through our three-week growth track, I'd love to have you come out and join us for this. It's going to be at 5 o'clock. We're going to serve you a meal. And so at growth track, well, we're going to get started today with talking about belonging and what that really means. And then next week, we'll talk about purpose and what that is. And we'll talk about teams after that. And it's just a great way for you to be able to understand more about, hey, what, what does it mean for, for me as a Christ follower to have a place of real belonging and belonging in him as well as belonging with a church and then to be able to go, hey, what's, what is my purpose? How can I dial in on that? And then teams, how is it that I can be contributing and, and be a part of something other than what I'm doing on my own? And so just a great way for you to just get jump started with your growth track on your, on your spiritual journey. And so I'd love to have you come out and join us for that. You can stop by Next Steps if you're not already signed up for that and let them know, hey, I'm wanting to come. I'd like to be here for that. And so they'll be glad to sign you up and get you going. Also today, right after this service, we're going to be having a Q&A for our mission trip in February, where we're going to the Dominican Republic. And so at the DR, we're going to be actually building a house from the ground up. And we'll be doing that in four days. It's a simple structure, but we as a church, because of your generosity, we will provide the actual house and we will fund that. And then you will be responsible for your travel and your lodging while you are there. And so you'll be able to find out a little bit more about that, get any of your questions and answered and figure out what all that is. So we'd love to have you for that if you're somebody that you have some interest in that and want to find out some more details. I've already mentioned at the middle of the month, we're doing our, our man up and we're sending men to the church that we're going to. It's not going to be here at Cross Point. It's going to be uh, 316 Church. It's over off Bandera Road. And so you can sign up for that through our app or through online and find out more about that and even pay and register for that event and see exactly where that's going to be at that way. And then at the end of the month, we're having our fall family fest. And so we've got that going on as well. So lots happening here in October. So just a great place for you to be this month. Well, last week I started this series, Counter Culture, and started this series by looking at this most famous message that Jesus ever gave that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And when he started the Sermon on the Mount, he started with these things called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is all about how we find a, a longer, deeper, lasting happiness that we can have. It, it's two BRs. And, and Jesus, what, what he ends up doing through this whole Sermon on the Mount, he starts it with the Beatitudes, but he does it a little bit later with some other things too, is that what he tells us, he teaches us that joy is actually found in the most unlikely places. That it's not where you think it's going to be, but joy can be found in this joy that's a deep joy. That as we got started last week, we looked at this idea. We looked at this very first beatitude, this attitude that we should be. And we looked at this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it just doesn't make sense at face value. It's countercultural. How is it that if I'm poor in spirit, my, my spirit's completely depleted, not I've got a little, but I'm completely depleted, that I can actually have the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not going to take time to, to repack that, but if you missed that last week, it'd be a great way for you to get an understanding of where was Jesus going with this? What was this all about? How is it that being poor in spirit, not rich in spirit, how is it that being poor in spirit? 
is the way that I get to heaven, that we get there. And today we're going to be talking about part two, and we're going to be talking about blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And, and with that, you can imagine this is going to be a, a heavy topic. And so I figured that I probably should start with something funny. And that way we can get a little laughter out. And then we can hit this even harder. So it does somewhat relate because this was in Reader's Digest. I found this. And you think you're having a bad day is the question. And this was actually published in a Florida newspaper. And we certainly know that, that Florida is going through a difficult time right now, and that mourning is certainly something that some of them are going through because of the loss of, of things, the, the loss of quality of life for some, maybe even the loss of life that they're going through. And so let's get to what this article was all about. A man was working on his motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the kitchen. And the man was racing the engine on the motorcycle, and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. And the man still holding the handlebars was dragged through a glass patio door and the motorcycle dumped onto the floor inside the house. And the wife, hearing the crash, she ran into the dining room and found her husband laying on the floor, cut and bleeding, the motorcycle laying next to him and the patio door shattered. The wife ran to the phone and summoned an ambulance. And because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down several flights of long steps to the street to direct the paramedics to her husband. After the ambulance arrived and they transported her husband to the hospital, the wife uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it outside. And seeing that the gas had spilled on the floor, the wife used some paper towels to blot up the gasoline, then threw them in the toilet. You know that's not going to end well. The husband was treated at the hospital and was released to come home. And after arriving home, he looked at the shattered patio door, the damage done to his motorcycle, and he became despondent. He went into the bathroom, he sat on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> after finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl while he was seated. The wife who was in the kitchen heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom and she found her husband lying on the floor. His pants had been blown away and he was suffering burns on the buttocks, the back of his legs, and his groin. The wife again ran to the phone and called for an ambulance. The same ambulance crew was dispatched and the wife met them at the street. The paramedics loaded the husband on the stretcher and began carrying him to the street. And while they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked her how the husband had burned himself. She told them. And the paramedics started laughing so hard, one of them tipped the stretcher and dumped the husband out. He fell down the remaining steps and broke his arm. I know that we go through things and we go, man, I'm having a bad day. But a lot of us can put that in perspective and go, you know what? My bad day isn't quite as bad as that bad day. Well, 
When we started this series, we looked at this word, blessed, this Greek word, makarios. And what this word means, it means blessed, it means happy, it means fortunate. And, and, and as we begin to, to dial in and try to understand more about this word, blessed, that this word is a word that the world, the world cannot compete with. And, and the world can't offer this kind of happiness. The world can't take it away. It just cannot compete with it. And when we think about this kind of being blessed, that this blessed is something that it doesn't mean that, that we have a lot of things. That, that sometimes when we're having a conversation with somebody, we, maybe we haven't seen them in a while, how are you doing? I'm blessed. And they're, going, they're thinking about all the things that they've acquired. Maybe it's not even so much about what they've acquired, but they're thinking about how all the things have just gone their way. Couldn't be better. I'm blessed because of how everything, I'm just a favor, favor, favor is just coming on me. But Jesus talks about blessed in a different way. And he talks about it. It's not about how much you have. It's not about everything going right with you. But it is about an internal joy that cannot be taken away from you. And we live in a culture that it's, it's looking for lasting love. It's looking for this internal peace. It's, it's looking for how it can have this joy, but it's looking in all the wrong places. And it's not finding it. And so Jesus, in this countercultural way, gives us this message. And he says, let me share with you the ways that you can be blessed. That this is where there, there, there will be this, this internal joy that you will get, that you don't get any other way, that, that you get this. And, and so he taught this. And so we're going to look at the second one. And the second one, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when we look at this, Jesus is letting us know, hey, yeah, there's this thing called comfort, but, but when do you get that? You get it after you mourn. It's blessed, blessed are those who are going to be real, who are going to be honest, that, that are really going to mourn, and, and, and they're, going to, they're going to realize that the loss that they've had. But they're going to be blessed because they're going to be comforted. And, and what does mourn mean here? It means this, this deep grief. It's when we're experiencing this, this deep grief, that this grief that, that makes it hard for us to function at work makes it hard for us to be present even when we're home because of where we're at, that, that we're just struggling because of this deep grief. But yet Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, there's a theologian, his name was William Barclay, and here's something that he said about this very passage. It's an astonishing thing to speak of the joy of sorrow, of the gladness of grief, and the bliss of the broken hearted. That when it comes to comfort, we, we, we all love comfort. In fact, a lot of us kind of like our, um, our comfort food, right? That, that, that we, we, love, we love being comforted, but we don't like the idea of having to go through mourning this deep grief in order for us to be comforted. And Jesus, who said this, he was somebody that was said of him that he is a man of sorrows, that Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied about him and said and called him a, a man of sorrows, 
because he was, he was acquainted with, with the destructive nature of sin and the hurts in life. And Jesus came to this earth, and, and as he came to earth, he left heaven to come to earth. And as he came to earth, he, he began to be familiar with, with sorrow and pain and hurt and suffering in a way that while he was human and God at the same time and, and relationships that he had and the hurts and disappointments that came his way. And he became a man of sorrow. But I think the greatest sorrow that he experienced was when he gave his life and he got up on that cross. And when he gave his life to get up on that cross, the sorrow that he experienced was something that he had never experienced before. And that is that he experienced sin for the very first time. And not because he did sin, because he never did. But he took on all the sin of the world. And when he took on all the sin of the world, he took on all the past sin, every, every sin that had happened before that moment, all the sin in that moment, and all of the future sin, and he took all that on, and he became acquainted with sorrow, with pain and suffering. And Jesus knew it. That I, I think when it comes to this idea of bless, that too many times that, that we associate that with somebody of good fortune. But Jesus comes along and he teaches, no, it's, it's not the people of good fortune, but it's the people whose, their fortune doesn't actually seem so good, that they're the ones that are being blessed. And so it's just opening our eyes to see some things about blessings that we just hadn't known before. And so as we begin to understand more about where where we're going with this, that God comes through in a unique way when life hands us a bad day. That he does. He, he comes through in this unique way when we experience a bad day. You're probably like me in the sense of when, when you're having a bad enough day, and, and, and there seems to be a domino effect of other little things that just keep happening, that, that, that it's real easy at that point to just kind of develop some, some tunnel vision and just go, you know, I'm just having a bad day. Of course that's going to, and another thing, of course it's happening to me. Of course that's happening today. And, and we do, we can just get locked in and, and we just get this, we develop this, this tunnel vision when it comes to having a bad day. In fact, I think our tunnel vision is something that we can look at more like this, that, that we find ourselves in, in, in this, this cave of, of darkness. And we're just surrounded by this darkness. And yet as we, we look, and the only light that we see at the end of the tunnel, it, it, it's the storm. And it's the storm that's raging, and it, it causes us to go, I, I don't want to go out there. I, I don't want to get there. I, I'm just going to plop down, and I'm just going to stay right here in the tunnel and in the darkness and my own pit of despair. It's very easy for us to go down that path and then just stop in that path and waller in that path. But deep joy, it's not found with tunnel vision. The, the, the blessing of being comforted we don't experience it when we're hanging out in our tunnel vision. When I was 12 years old, 
I went to the first funeral that I recall ever having gone to. Don't know if my parents drug me to some other ones that I just don't have any recollection of, but I remember this one. My, my grandfather on my dad's side had passed away. He had been healthy, had a heart attack, and less than two hours later, he was gone. Dad had gotten a, a phone call, letting him know about the heart attack, and he'd gotten a phone call, letting him know that Grandpa had passed away. Well, our family packed up and went to Ohio, uh, Illinois, and we went to this funeral. And as a 12-year-old, I had a lot of expectations about what a funeral was. And I expected a funeral to be a place that there was going to be a lot of grief and sadness and sorrow. I, I was old enough to know that, 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 that a funeral is something that puts us in touch with what we've lost. But I wasn't old enough to know that a funeral is also a place where you can actually celebrate the life that somebody lived. That, that you can celebrate that life and celebrate the legacy. I, I wasn't old enough or mature enough to know that, that you could actually even even have some, some humor and some laughter that being shared about this person and, and who they were and what they've done and the joy that they brought. And I wasn't mature enough to understand this. And so as I went into this building, we ended up having a viewing the same day of the funeral. And so this is all kind of new to me and just trying to figure all this out. And, and as I'm there, I'm I'm sad. I've got my sorrow on. I've got my funeral face on and my funeral feelings on and, and I'm doing well with it. But as more people just kept coming into the building and they would have conversations with other people and then they would be laughing and, and experiencing some joy and, and just hanging out and even feeling like they were having their own little reunion of somebody they haven't seen in a long time. It was too much for me because it was interfering with my tunnel vision. And I had my tunnel vision. I, no, I'm supposed to be sad. Everybody's supposed to be sad. We're supposed to be miserable. This is about grief. And so I literally, I, I left the building and I, and I went outside so that I could protect my tunnel vision and I, I could just wallow in my grief and my, my sadness and my sorrow until I had to go in for the funeral. And I wish that I'd have known then what I know now because what I did is at the funeral, I, I refused myself any joy. I, I refused myself the, the ability to, to laugh any because I was focused on the loss of life. 12 years old, just trying to process and trying to figure out what is it that I'm supposed to be doing because I've lost my grandfather. And what I didn't do is I didn't give myself permission to be comforted because I only was willing to mourn and stay inside of that tunnel vision. But we can be comforted when we mourn. We can be. And, and, and Jesus told us that, that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that, that people who are disappointed with God, that, that I think the people that are disappointed with God the most are the people that they believe that, that faith 
should shield us from pain. Faith, faith should, should shield us from, from, from sorrow and from, from hurt and from loss. And so the, the, we do, we, we begin to, to think this way. And when we think this way, that it really gives us a messed up view of God. We have a, a book in our Bible called the book of Hebrews. And, and there's a chapter in there, chapter 11. And many of you probably already know this, but that chapter is labeled and referred to as the faith chapter. And if you were to start reading through it, you'll, you'll start reading about individual lives and, and what they did with their faith and, and, and then what they accomplished. And, and they, they held on to their faith. They stayed true to God and, and great, incredible things happen. And then as the author just keeps writing, he realizes, I, I'm never going to finish this if I keep listing every individual and every result that happened because of their faith. So then he starts to try to wrap it up and conclude it. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. I, I, I don't have time to talk about them. Because every time he was listing them, it was about the, these blessings that, that came and, and how he would have to unpack that. And so he moves on and he keeps going. He says, who through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, and they gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Just what they did with their faith. They quenched the fury of the flames and they escaped the edges of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Wow, that the things that they did, that women received back their dead, raised to life again. That, and if we were to just stop, those are the people that, that God just gives them the good life. That, that if you'll just have your faith and don't waver it, no matter how tough it gets, man, God's just going to give you the, the, the good life. He's going to give you the easy life. He's just, he's just distributing easy buttons because of your faith. But that's not true. Because if we were to continue to, to read, and we're going to, we'll see that sometimes it's our thoughts that they actually deceive us. When, when we trust thoughts that we shouldn't be trusting, this is when we get deceived. And when we think that God's all about just giving us the easy button, if faith means easy, then we are going to be deceived. And we're not going to understand really this life that we are to be living, this life of faith. But I, want, I want to share with you three uh, we think statements. And these, these statements that, that we think, and because we think this, we get deceived and, and we misunderstand God and we even get mad at God. And so here's the first statement, that we think bad things shouldn't ever happen to good people. That, hey, but, the, but they were, it, it shouldn't happen to them. And that, that's just what we think. We think bad things shouldn't happen to good people. And, and so when something does happen to a good person that is bad, if we think this, we're automatically going to get mad at God. We're going to blame God. We're going to question God. This is what we end up doing. But let's continue to read in the book of Hebrews. There were others who were tortured, 
refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. They're they're being tortured and they're going, hey, by faith, I'm not willing to give up the torture because I'm not willing to give up my faith. And I I believe that, that God's got my back. It might not be in this lifetime, but I believe that God's got my back and I don't wanna miss out and give up what God is doing. Some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Who are we talking about? We're talking about people that were living by faith. And this is what happened to them. The world was not worthy of them. And they wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised in their lifetime on earth. None of them received that. And since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And when we see that, and we think that bad things shouldn't happen to good people, then we think that's not fair. Those were good people and and people of faith that were committed to their faith and living it out. And that's not fair that that happened to them. And God's comfort, it won't always happen on earth. That sometimes God's comfort is going to be saved for eternity. And we never know which way it's going to be. We never know what what God's going to do in the way that he's going to comfort. But he is going to comfort us. And sometimes he's going to send people to comfort us as well. The Apostle Paul, who is discipling and mentoring young Timothy, he wrote to him, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That that, that Paul had joy on his worst days. And Paul trusted that that God was going to come through for him no matter what. In fact, as he trusted him, he trusted he was going to rescue him to his heavenly kingdom. And Paul was willing to forfeit any kind of comfort here on earth for a heavenly comfort that would last for all eternity. Well, here's another we think. We think pain and suffering are because we did something wrong. If I'm suffering, I must have done something wrong. There are some well-intentioned people, and what they'll say is, you've got unconfessed sin, and that's the reason that you're going through what you're going through. That you had to have done something wrong, and that's the reason that you are going through what you are going through. Well, James, who is Jesus' half-brother, 
He shared it with us in chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's hard to do. That, hey, how you doing? Man, I'm joyful. Great. What's happening in your life? Lots of trials. <laughs> Nobody's saying that when we're running into people we haven't seen in a while. But James knew, hey, if, if you're going to get this joy thing right and you're going to understand really what faith's about, then, then, then you need to understand this. And he said, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And then what about perseverance? And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's the thing about perseverance. We want a mature faith without going through the painful maturing process. I, I, I'm guilty. There, there are people that, that I see their faith, what they've gone through and their incredible faith that they have. And I'm like going, I want that faith. But can I get it without going through the pain that they've had to go through to get their faith to that level? We do. We, we, we want the mature faith, but we don't want to go through the painful, maturing process to get there. That we can look at in book 1 Peter. It says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That whatever you're going through, that it may get to a point that God gets glorified because of what you've had to go through. There are six stages of grief. Don't know if you've seen this before, but the first one is shock. It's the, I, I, I'm still in shock. You, you, you could have lost somebody that you love dear to you and, 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 and they've been ailing and, and, and extremely ill for years or months, and yet you're still shocked when they're finally gone. That, that when you go through an incredible tragedy, that it, it's the shock, that, that it's just the first stage of grief. And, and, and we go from shock to where we experience sorrow. And now our, our emotions begin to kick in and, 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 and the internal pain the sorrow, it begins to take over. That our emotions, that we lose control with them. That we lose control and some of that loss of control comes with this third stage. It's the struggle. And at this stage, we're going, I'm struggling. I'm wanting to move through this. I'm wanting to be able to function again normally but I'm struggling. That maybe you find yourself returning back to the workplace and, 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 and you think, okay, I, I can return to work. I think I can get through. But this one little thing triggers and, and now you just begin to struggle that day and you're, you're just, you're hurting and, and you're experiencing this grief. 
You didn't want to. You wanted to, to, to just keep moving forward, but, but you can't, and you're, you're just struggling. And you're struggling to get through. And everybody experiences these first three stages of grief. But I don't think everybody goes through the second three or the last three stages of grief. And what are those? Well, the next stage of grief, it's surrender. It's, it's, it's when we surrender to God, our, our hurt, our pain, our disappointment, our loss, and we rely on him. That, that we find ourselves completely empty of ourselves. We're poor in spirit. And, and, and we, we surrender to him. And, and, and we surrender that, that we've been in shock. We, we, we surrender that, that we've got this sorrow. We surrender that, that we are struggling. And it's, it's through the surrender that this is where we get to experience God's presence. And you won't experience God's presence until you surrender to him in the stages of your grief. The next stage is sanctification. And sanctification is this, this, this process, is this thing that God does to us, that, that, that he makes us holy and right, and that, that he takes our grief and what we hurt through, and he sanctifies us through this. And this, this is the path to experiencing God's peace. Surrender is the path to get in his presence. But the sanctification is the path to experience it. But we're allowing God to do something in us, to us. And the next stage of grief is where we actually allow God to do something through us. And that is service. And we begin to serve others that are mourning and comfort them. A support group. The leader of a support group is somebody that has to get past the first three stages. It would be a terrible support group for you to show up and the leaders at stage one. I'm in shock value. I'm just shocked at the loss of my heart and but I'm going to try to lead us through. They're not going to be able to lead you through. It's going to take somebody that they have allowed time and healing and God to work on them. They've surrendered to him. He's sanctified them. And now they're serving others. So I was 12 years old. And those series of phone calls that came in, my grandpa had a heart attack and then my grandpa died. My dad, after that phone call, he hangs up the phone and he goes to his home office and he shuts the door. And I hear my dad weep like I've never heard a man weep before.
And I'm uncomfortable with it. So he hadn't even been in there two minutes. And I make my way over there and I knock on that door. And I turn that doorknob to go in, but it's, it was locked. And my dad, he just pauses. He's grieving. And he said something to acknowledge that, that he was listening. I don't even remember what he said. And I said, Dad, it's, it's me. Are you all right? Can I see you? My dad unlocks that door and he opens it. And he just hugs me. And my dad that day had shock from his healthy dad. Heart attack. Less than two hours, he's gone. My dad's in sorrow. He, he knows the sorrow. And my dad's struggling with this loss that he never had time to prepare for. Not that that would help. And with less than two minutes... He had to surrender and give it to God. He had to allow God to do something in him and to him so that God could do something through him. And he opened that door. And with service, he just embraced me and loved on me. You can't do that that quickly. Unless God's already got some deep roots in your heart. And we, we get the wrong idea, the wrong view of God. Because this last we think, we think we know what's best. We do. But our, our best is a lot different than God's best. In fact, Isaiah captured these words of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want to leave you with this. God wants us to grow through what we go through. He wants us to grow through what we go through. And we've got to be willing to mourn and be honest with ourselves. But it's not until we get honest with God that we're going to get past that grieving stage that gets us to the point where we surrender to him. And that surrendering to him, it's saying, God, will you just, will you take these ashes of my life and just what life has turned out to be? And God, will you do something beautiful with it?
It's the sanctification. And when you get sanctified, now he equips you to serve. And he recruits you to be that comforter. The people that he puts in your path. Because blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Pray with me. God, right now, I just pray for those that are just listening to this. And they are in deep grief right now. God, they've, they've tried to shake it. The, the, the shock's over. They know what sorrow is, and they're just in the struggle. God, would you allow them to be able to see your outstretched hands? that they would see that and they would surrender by reaching back out to you and taking hold of you so that you could be the God that would bring them comfort beyond understanding and restore an inner joy in life so that we're blessed. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.